I am bold. So I'm also a Pentecostal Presbyterian. And so it's a joy to be with you this morning. I was born some 50 years ago, raised here in Orange County, and I attended a Reformed church. And, uh, but I was not taught the Heidelberg Catechism. I appreciate that you're going through that text. But I was raised in a family that loved the Bible. We read the Bible every night. I had a pastor who still taught me the Bible. I, I was a good Sunday school attender. I knew the Sunday school answers very, very well. My commitment to the Lord, I think, uh, became spirit-inspired more in my evangelical witness as I got into my early years of college. And one evening, one of my good friends, who is a good Christian friend of mine, said, let's go out and do some street witnessing. And I'd never done any of that before, but I felt like that's what the Lord would like me to do. So when you go street witnessing here in Orange County, it's usually the Huntington Pier or or Newport Beach, right? But he said, no, we're going to go to Westwood. And I said, Westwood? That's next to UCLA. I mean, there's case-hardened pagans at that school. But uh, he decided to take the trip. And there, uh, out there in Westwood, all the college students are milling about, doing what college students do. And there on the corner, I saw a Jewish rabbi uh, dressed in the typical Fairfax district attire. And something moved me to say, I know I'm here to witness to people. Who better to witness to than to a Jewish rabbi? So I walked up to this man and I asked him the classic question, why don't you accept Jesus as Messiah? Because I knew that in my Sunday school training that the Jews rejected Jesus because he did not overthrow the Roman Empire and their oppressors, and this this therefore disqualified Jesus from being their Messiah. And so he turned to me and he said, Christian, if you would just read the Bible, and you would read Jeremiah chapter 22, where King Jeconiah was cursed by the prophet, that no longer would any of his sons ascend to the throne of David. And if you would just simply read your New Testament and the Gospel of Matthew, which has Jeconiah in the family tree of your Jesus, you will therefore learn that Jesus could in no way be the Messiah, Yom Tov. Now, at that very moment, I thought to myself, They never taught me that in Sunday school. (laughs) And as I've grown up and have met and witnessed to other people, I have found that there are millions of reasons why people will not accept Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God. And this one person offered one particular reason why, case closed, Jesus cannot be the Messiah. Now, there's some wonderful answers to that critique that he brought, which really strengthens your faith in amazing ways. And I'll I'll leave that to Pastor Ben to bring that to you. But in Jesus' own day, there was rejection 
of his ministry. There was something about him that was deficient, and mostly because of how many things they expected the Messiah to bring to Israel. When the Messiah came, he would be unparalleled in his activity, and his ministry would be so completely apparent that there'd be no doubt that the Messiah was in their midst. The new Messiah would change the geography of Israel. Valleys would be raised and mountains laid low and there'd be a path to Zion. The Messiah would bring all the dispersed exiles from all the different places from where they had been exiled and he'd bring them all the way back to Jerusalem. This Messiah would be more powerful and impressive than Moses himself. This Messiah would also suffer and do important work of saving people through his suffering. This same Messiah would do so many things typified in the scriptures. There's just no way you could miss the Messiah being in the midst. Now, one chief feature of the Messiah that I wanted to explore with you today is that the Messiah would bring flowing fountains, rivers, streams, ravines. Now, I live in Tennessee. I live next to the biggest river in the United States. Israel had no category for a river like that. None. There's no navigable rivers anywhere in Israel. But the Israelites counted on a steady flow of streams for their agriculture and for their life. The reason why Jerusalem is where Jerusalem is, is because there's a spring underneath it. And when the Messiah came, all the springs, all the fountains would erupt, and they would know that the land would become fruitful. You read that today in your responsive reading from the psalm early this morning. You read about the fountains. And Israel knew that they were being judged when the fountains and the streams and the cisterns dried up. But when they began to gush forward with life and abundance, that would be a sign that the Messiah was in their midst. Now, as, a, uh, as someone who's presenting to you the word of God, I want to build my case that the gospel of John is very clear in teaching the Jewish people that Jesus really was the Messiah and that he clearly fulfilled all the expectations and anticipation that they had for the Messiah. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to take your Bible. We're going to do a little Baptist preaching today. We're going to go verse by verse through a couple passages till we get to the crescendo of what John was trying to communicate to his readers. And we could begin with John chapter 1, verse 10. We're only going to cover the first seven chapters. Is that Entice you? John 1.10 begins with a definition of who Jesus was. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. That's a general reference to all of the world. That's clear. But then there's a specific reference to a specific group of people that follow right after that. A, a group of people who should have known better. It says of them, he came to his own, 
and his own did not receive him. Sort of a double rejection of the Messiah. But this is the case that John is building for us. And then in John 1.25, listen to this. Their expectation is pregnant in this question. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ? What is Christ? Christ is the anointed one. It's the Greek word for Messiah, Mashiach. Why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ? They were expecting the Christ to come with a water ministry. But they continue on because they have expectations of someone who's supposed to come to them. If you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. Of course, Elijah did some wonderful things with water, and so did Moses, the prophet. Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, you'd better look for someone who's like me, one of your brothers. So they had expectations. This verse is already telling us they had expectations of what the Messiah was supposed to be. And of course, John the Baptist says in verse 31, I came baptizing with water, and here becomes the great switch. 131, I came baptizing with water, but in verse 33, but he who comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That sets the table. That sets the table. There's going to be something about John's ministry that's going to prepare us for a new covenant ministry. That's going to be an analogy of what John was doing with water, but Jesus was going to take it to a whole new level. And we as Christians need to appreciate this analogy. Because when we come to Pentecost, we think about fire and wind, but for John, the spirit is water. So then we begin this tour of the ministry of Jesus, and what do we find in John chapter 2? This is known as Jesus' quote-unquote first sign. What is the first miracle of Jesus? He turns water into wine. He turns water into wine. John 1.11 says, and this is the uh, New King James, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. John's only going to reserve himself to seven signs. He'll say at that last verse of his text, if I was to mention every single thing that he did, it would take all the books of the world to contain it. But he reserves himself to seven significant signs. That's a little bit redundant, isn't it? And the first sign, and it's not the word first. It's not the word protos. It's the word arche. It's the very first thing we read in the John's Gospel, in the beginning. The source, the dominion, the rule. The type of miracle, the beginning miracle of Jesus would be what? Abundance. Water, almost that you could not hold it all. Six giant containers that held some 180 gallons of wine. That's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He, that is messianic. Can I tell you how many verses in the Old Testament talk about the day of the Lord where the mountains would drip with new wine? Over and over again, if you're a faithful Old Testament reader, you're going to be reading about vats being full 
and harvest being plentiful. Now look, if you were at Costco and you someone saw uh, someone rolling out a, a pallet of 150 Franzia boxes, you'd wonder what was going on. Someone was going to have a party. This is what Jesus is doing. And this is the beginning. This is the beginning of his ministry. And this displays his glory. John chapter 1, John chapter 2, John chapter 3, Jesus meets with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is told in John 3 verse 5, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want you to know that that's not something you're supposed to do. That's something you're supposed to believe. There's no imperative in that passage. And it's an interesting passage because it gets people confused. What's this mean to be born of water and to be born of the Spirit? What type of interpretation do we apply to that? And so I'm going to ask you to hold off on that until we get to the crescendo. But this is a part of Jesus' conversation. It's a part of his messianic call. He will later speak of the Spirit being like the wind. But here he's making a case for New birth, new life. And now John is the only one who mentions this in 3.23. It says, now John was also, also was baptizing because Jesus at this time, his disciples were also baptizing. There were two groups of people baptizing. And it says, baptizing in Aenon near Salim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. What an interesting reference. Only in John. And so we think, well, why the reference? There was much water there. Well, because there were a lot of people, so you need a lot of water. And I have some of my Baptist friends who will point to this verse and they will say, well, you see, you know why you need a lot of water? Because you have to be dunking people. You need a lot of water. And I'm going to say, no, my friends, this is keeping with the Jewish eschatological hope. John the Baptist knew that when the Messiah was going to be on the scene, rivers and streams, the wadis, would be flowing. And he's taking people to a place where it's evident the Messiah is on the scene. This passage says before he was thrown into prison, he knows that rivers need to be flowing. And he's taking people to where the rivers are flowing. It's messianic. And so it's sort of a gut punch that we find John in Matthew saying, are you really the Christ? Or should we expect somebody else? And Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. Well, then we come to a very famous passage, John chapter 4. And it's a woman at the well. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That's messianic hope. That's the expectation. But he's saying, I'm not just talking about rivers in your countryside. I'm talking about rivers flowing out of your belly, flowing out from within you. That's what my ministry is going to accomplish. 
And so we have this great conversation with this woman. And, and in 425, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. She starts dialing in. I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things Jesus said to her. And in the Young's literal translation, because he says in the Greek, ego, amy, he says, I am he who am speaking to thee. She gets the idea of the Messiah, and Jesus says to her, I am the one, and I can bring you waters that cannot ever be contained. And there's this great conversation that takes place with the Samaritan town. And Jesus ends up talking about the fields being white for harvest. He says, look at the fields, they're ripe. Because that's what the Messiah was supposed to bring to the land. So much fullness and abundance and agricultural. It just, you wouldn't have enough barns to contain it all. Your vats would be full. And so he uses this language of the messianic hope. But it's not related to agriculture. It's related to souls. It's related to the people whom God would call. It's related to the people who with, from inside of them, the spirit indwelling them would give them a new perspective and hope in life. It's a fascinating discussion because the gospel of John said that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But here he goes to some some Samaritans and they do. And the town says to the lady, we don't believe now because of what you said. We now believe because we've talked to him that he is the savior of the world. What a confession. Well, then we read in John chapter 5, there's a healing at a pool. Is there a little bit of maybe a theme running through here? There's a healing at a pool. And uh, the man says to him in verse 7, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before him. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, and immediately he's healed. And so we have Jesus declaring in some interesting way that he's more powerful than the water that you'd put your faith in. Jesus' ministry is not going to be a physical ministry. Yes, all the healings were physical, amen? But they were significant of what he was really going to bring to the world. He was going to bring wholeness to his people. And then we have in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Do you want to talk about abundance? Do you want to talk about messianic? He can feed all those people. This is what we're expecting of the Messiah. And John is documenting this chapter after chapter. Jesus now here is the greater Moses. And then in John chapter 6, Jesus walks on the water. I'm not even prepared how to throw that into the mix. Right? He is over and greater and above water. It's not water what we need. I know California needs water from time to time. We hear that in the news. I live in a perpetual greenhouse. I can't stop things from growing. It takes like two, I mow it, and like three days later, I need to mow it again. It's awful. That's what they were expecting, but Jesus' ministry was going to do that. In the lives of his people, there would be abundance and joy and fulfillment and wholeness in the life of every believer in Jesus Christ. He's fulfilling messianic 
expectations. And then we read, Jesus will say it very clearly in 6.35. Jesus answered to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Well, what were they supposed to believe? You have seen me and yet you do not believe. What were they supposed to believe? That he was the Messiah. That he was the Savior of the world. And he was coming with the signs that the Old Testament prophets said the Messiah would arrive with. John 6, 68. The disciples are challenged after everyone walks away from Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, do you want to go too? Do you want to leave? In verse 68, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we believe, we have come to believe and know that you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is what John is hoping to accomplish for it. He ends his gospel saying, these things have been written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you will have life by his name. And as we work through the gospel, we see groups of people getting it. First it was the Samaritans, and now it's the disciples. They're coming to the proper confession that the whole purpose of the book was written. And then we get to our crescendo. John chapter 7, it was read. No, it wasn't. I didn't even read it. Forgive me. Let's read it now. John chapter 7. Starting at verse 34, I believe. 37. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the multitude, therefore, when, he had, when they had heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet expectation. Others were saying, this is the Christ expectation. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Expectation. If they just would have really known where Jesus was born. They called him Jesus of Nazareth. But we all know he wasn't born there. He was really born in David's city. That They didn't know it, so they kept finding reasons for why they should reject him, because he didn't match their expectations. And one of those expectations was to cause Israel to flow in abundance. And Jesus says, I'm bringing the flow, but it's going to flow from a new Israel, a new temple, a new type of people. Verse 42, Has not the Scripture said, that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was. They didn't read the early part of Matthew and Luke. 
Verse 43, so there came a division in the multitude because of him. And that is part of what Jesus does in his ministry. Jesus is a gatherer, but once they're all gathered, there's a division. Jesus tells some pretty nice parables about that. I know there was a crusade, or they called them crusades. They used to call them crusades, the harvest crusade. And I always thought that after the crusade, we should have the threshing. And then a little bit mean. But you can bring a lot of people together, and you can entice them to fill a stadium, but are they really going to have the life-changing source of God's spirit, his gospel transform their life and change families, churches, communities? Jesus was coming with all these accompanying signs. And he says on this last and great day of the feast. Now there's rabbinic literature that still is holding on to the fact that they haven't had their Messiah. On this day, the day of the Feast of Booths of Tabernacle, a tradition had developed that from the temple mount, they would send someone all the way down this road. And if you're keeping up with archaeology, my friends, they have found this very road that was a clearly demarcated path from the Pool of Siloam at the bottom of the city, the old city of David, and they found the new Pool of Siloam. Are you guys all keeping up with this? You know, uh, Constantine's mother said, okay, this is going to be the Pool of Siloam. But, you know, the Israelites, well, Israelites, the Jewish people were building a new plumbing system, and they happened upon the real Pool of Siloam. It's half exposed. It's about the size of an Olympic-sized pool. And it's at the base of this road. And you can take this road today. It's all underground now because it was thrown under all the rubble of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. You've got to look this up. It's, it's out there. But they would run down to this pool. They'd fill up a big jar and they'd bring it all the way to the top of the temple mount and they'd pour that vessel onto the temple floor because they wanted Ezekiel 47 to start taking place. Because Ezekiel 47 speaks of a messianic day when the river would flow east and west. And everything connected to the water of Ezekiel 47 would bring life, abundance. Write this down. Ezekiel 36, 25 and following. It tells you all that the Messiah was going to do. It's all the things that they were expecting. Jesus is the fulfillment of of their messianic hopes. But the way that we come into contact with believing it is God causing those waters to flow out of our own hearts. He sends his spirit to us and by his grace and mercy permits us to believe it. We are quickened. And that's what the Messiah was to do for his people. I want to summarize with two small points. John the Baptist was in prison in Matthew 11. And he asked the questions through his emissaries to Jesus. Are you the coming one or shall we look for another? And Jesus says, look at the signs of the ministry. And we ask ourselves, what is Jesus quoting? What is Jesus quoting in the Old Testament that would satisfy the 
John the Baptist, the Elijah to come. And I believe with others that Jesus is quoting Isaiah 35. He quotes to John the Baptist a passage that's going to satisfy him that he truly is the Messiah. Listen to Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Even with joy and singing, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make them make the firm make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come to you and save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. When the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing, for waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water inhabitations of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. When John was doubting in prison, are you the Messiah, Jesus said, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame are healed, the poor have the gospel preached to them. You see that in Isaiah 35. But then you see, the aspect of the ministry that John the Baptist was supposed to begin to bring to Israel. You see the land erupting, becoming filled with pools of water, and the nation being restored and healed again. This is what the Messiah was supposed to bring to Israel, and this is what the Messiah brings to the new Israel of God. Jesus Christ is not just simply concerned about a piece of real estate, in the Middle East. He's concerned to redeem a lost humanity, and he does that by calling them by the power of his Holy Spirit, redeeming them and applying to them the righteousness of Christ, and sealing them for the day of redemption. If you want to talk about what Pentecost is about, it's about God restoring and redeeming entire households to be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ and to have his anointing Christ means to anoint. When we baptize, we anoint. But that is only a picture of the real anointing we want for believers. We want them to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and to be children of God. And this is what the ministry of Jesus was to bring. And this is the point of John's gospel, to prove that he's the Messiah. And he does it by ticking off all the Old Testament expectations but he fulfills them in a greater way. Folks, water is the analogy. Real life comes from the Spirit. You can't have eternal life if you don't have the Spirit. And this is the covenant promise of God to send it to us in Joel chapter 2 and then Acts chapter 2. 
My last teaching point is, again, a single reference from only John's gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross. A soldier took a spear. You know where I'm going with this? And he pierced him in the heart, and out came blood and water. And I don't know what the... I think to myself, what does that mean to the Old Testament, excuse me, the New Testament writer? John sees this, and he documents it. And in our day, we say, well, there's a very clinical reason for that. That proves that Jesus really was dead, and that the serum and his blood had separated, and when he pierced the pericardium, out came the two elements. But for John, he's saying in Jesus' death, he's delivering the water that Israel needs. It's his death that atones. It's his death that covers us. It's his death that gives us new life by faith in Christ. Let that be our messianic hope. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for all the levels and intricacies of the scriptures that your spirit, by his divine action, caused the men of of both the prophets and the apostles to write these words so that we might know that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of God that the expectations that Israel had were fulfilled and, Lord, they didn't know, were exceeded. That in that day a a fountain would be opened to the house of David and all the inhabitants for sin and uncleanness. Your prophets wrote of it. Jesus fulfilled it. We now have life because of it. Thank you for your enduring word and your spirit that brings your people and your church life. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.